We love this movie in our house. One of our favorites. Uh, love the testimony of it. This story that's incredible. God delivering his people out of Egypt, calling his people forward, giving them a promise. And they go out to the desert. Of course, you have this amazing ending. And now Moses has the Ten Commandments. He's been given the law, right? Describing the glory of God. And you get that amazing music. It ends. And that's awesome. But there's just one problem. What's the problem? It's about to go bad. Really, really bad. So if you've seen any of the other movies, you guys might remember what's about to happen. And Moses gets to come down with the Ten Commandments that God's given, showing his glory and goodness and mercy. And then what happens next? You've seen, if you guys have seen the old school picture, this is what happens, right? That's what's about to happen, okay? Where Moses is about to, for all of you guys, if you haven't seen the Charlton Heston version, it's, it's fantastic. It's like three and a half hours. You need to watch it. Make your kids watch it. It'll be good. I've done that with my kids. So um, this is what happens next is the people have gone into all out rebellion. Now, every one of us has asked the question, you saw the God of the universe split the sea in half and delivered you miraculously out of bondage. How on earth could you be here in this place, given your heart to an idol, said, God's forsaken us in the desert. You guys are crying out. Let's go back to Egypt. Literally, let's go back to being a slave. That was what was being spoken at that moment. As they're walking through this, God has done these miraculous things. How do you get to that point? They get to go through the desert and God's bringing them up to the promised land. And this scripture text we just read together, it's actually, he quotes, the writer quotes Psalm 95 that was written about this moment in which God was ready to bring people into the promised land. But what they do is they go, hey, let's send 12 guys out to check out the land. And let's just see before we go in. And the 12 come back and two guys, Joshua and Caleb, come back and go, oh man, you can't believe what God has preserved for us. You can't believe this incredible promise. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's amazing what God is gonna give to us. But 10 came back and said, Oh my gosh, there's no possible way we can do this. This is a joke. Have you seen the people out there? Have you, they're literally giants in the land. They're looking at the Philistines. There's huge people. They're looking at them. It's like, you know, like a, 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 tw- a second grade basketball team looking and going, we have to play against the NBA, right? They're looking at that just going, they're giants. It might as well have been the same thing. How is it even possible? And they don't believe that God is any way, even though deliver them out of Egypt, split the sea, preserve their lives. They look at this promised land that God said, I'll do it. And they said, no way, not going to happen. And because of that, because of that testimony, he said, God says, listen, I'm not going to not give you the promise, but you guys are going to have to wait 40 years. I need a generation to move out because I'm looking for people that are just willing to believe. I'm just looking for a people that are willing to believe. Why is the writer pointing at this moment? 
the writer of Hebrews is trying to point us back to, he's giving us this psalm that was written about this moment where they're in the desert. We just read it. Why is the writer of Hebrews writing it to? These are Christian. These are followers of Jesus have given their lives to him. Why is he writing this to them? Because this generation is struggling with the same thing that the generation of Moses struggled with. And by the way, we're going to find out the same thing that Adam and Eve struggled with. All right, so let's look at it. We're going to find the definitive reason why this writer is saying this, quoting this psalm to these followers of Jesus as they're navigating this moment of life. Here's what he says. I'm going to skip down to verse 12 and then we'll back up. Verse 12, take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, hear it, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Here it is. The writer's wanting to address something that every generation has wrestled with, no matter how big and how amazing the move of God has ever been. From the beginning where God created the earth to God's people, Israel, to the, these followers of Jesus who heard the testimony of God in the flesh. And the answer is unbelief. Unbelief is the centerpiece that keeps and destroys faith. Uh, look at this core central issue here that we see all throughout it. And, and he, here's what he says. I want you to take care over this issue of unbelief. If there be any evil, unbelieving heart that's going to lead you away from the living God. Now, let's just pause. It sounds a little harsh. Because let's, let's, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, let's remember what's happening. These guys are going through it. They're being persecuted. They've lost loved ones. They're being uh, uh, made fun of for their beliefs. Other people are looking at them going, what you believe is crazy. They're walking through an incredibly difficult, what you and I might call dry season, where life is not all great and grand. And this letter is being written to them. And they're going through it, difficult moments. So it might sound just a little harsh to say, don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. But what's he actually saying here? Is, that, is he being heavy handed? Is God being kind of overwhelming to this group of people that are just trying to survive? The answer is no. No, it's not being heavy handed. The call to carefulness in the scripture where it says, take care or watch out. This call to carefulness is a word of goodness from a God who's merciful because he knows exactly how unbelief destroys our lives. He knows exactly what happens when unbelief is given room to creep into our lives. He knows exactly what happens because why? Because people have been doing it from the beginning. And for it, it, uh, you might even be in the room and go, listen, unbelief's not my thing. Let me tell you something. If the people of God can see him split a sea and deliver them through it and wrestle with unbelief, brother and sister, we have to watch out for it ourselves. And that's what's happening in this moment. He's saying, where's your heart on this issue? In other words, what he's saying is, listen, there is, there is a moment of life where the enemy wants to sink you. 
where the enemy's looking for an opportunity to make shipwreck of your faith, to come in and to steal from you what has been so beautifully given. And there's a good father through his servant writing this letter here that's saying, don't lose this beautiful gift that's been given to you, this gift of faith. And so what he wants to do is lift up this central issue of life that kills faith, that kills all faith. It's the, hear this, it's the one thing that is at the center of every sin you and I have ever committed. It is at the center of every issue we've ever wrestled with in our lives. It is at the center of everything that you and I have ever fought against. It is unbelief, not believing what he's saying is at this center of evil, when he uses the term evil, you want to know what evil is? The epitome of unbelief. This is literally, we can go back to the garden where evil gets introduced into the world. And what happens? It's did God, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve and says, did God really say that you, could, that you couldn't eat? Is he really trying to keep you from being like him? Unbelief. That's what's at the center of everything you and I have ever wrestled with. Every sin we've ever committed, unbelief is at the center of it. And he's saying, don't let unbelief take you down and miss the rest of God. There is a rest that comes from pushing in to believe when unbelief wants to creep in. And God's inviting us into it. That's the point of him writing this. Meaning he's saying, you guys are going through it right now. You're going through hardship. The, the writer's not pretending like their life is easy and you need to get over it. He's saying, life's hard. And there's a whole generation of people that are ready to just go, forget it. If it's going to be like this, God, if you're not going to do it my way, if you aren't going to line things up the way I want them to be lined up, then I'm out. And what he's saying is don't be tempted into that lie that says just because things aren't perfect for you right now that somehow God has forsaken you. He's right here in this with you. Trust him and believe in him. Don't let unbelief steal your rich and beautiful faith. They were in danger of that because he knows that unbelief is at the root of what kills life-giving, flourishing, hope-filled faith. Life-giving, flourishing, hope-filled faith. Now, isn't that what we all want? Uh, isn't that what you want? I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've yet to ever sit down with anyone and they're just going, yeah, I just like the faith that just kind of gets me through. If I could just kind of slide by, if I could just kind of have nominal faith, that would be great. I don't know. Any, nobody wants that. Nobody's ever asked for that. What do they want? I want great faith that's going like, listen, I want something alive in me that pulls me through the desert. When I'm out in the desert, and by the way, the desert comes and goes. It's just this is a part of being in this world, this side of heaven. The desert season's coming. It always has. It'll come for every person. How could you say that? 
It came for Jesus. He had the desert moment. We all get the desert moment. We're going to come and see. And sometimes it ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's right in front of us. Sometimes it's a long way off and we're in the thick of it in the garden, in the mountaintop. And that's amazing too. Thank God for all the seasons, right? Thank God for all the seasons. But the season's there when we're in the desert and God's asking the question, where's your faith? Where's the hope-filled, flourishing faith in the desert? Because I want that for you. That's what I want for you. And this writer's saying to these brothers and sisters that are going through it right now, hold fast to this. God wants for us a faith that is rich and carries us with power and strength through whatever season may come. The mountaintop and the valley. The garden and the desert. God wants that kind of faith that pulls us through every season. That's what he wants for us. And that's what he wants for these brothers and sisters here and what he would say to his church. Don't let evil, faith-stealing, life-killing, unbelief rob you of the riches that God has for you. Don't let unbelief steal that from you. And so he points to that season of testing. In fact, that's what he says. You go back to verse eight. Let's just jump back a couple of verses. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He's actually speaking of uh, Meribah, the place where uh, they were looking into the, uh, if you actually go back and read, and that's your homework, right? Read, go read Psalm 95. It's great. Don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And hear this, on the day of Testing in the wilderness, testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Now, let's go ahead and do what we all need to do, which is ask the question, why, oh, why does God do seasons of testing in our lives? I, if, I'm just going to be honest. I think if I were God, I would just go, let's just make it easy. I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, there, there was a movie that came out where a guy, um, he got to be God for a while. It's called Bruce, uh, Bruce Almighty, something like that, Bruce Almighty. And uh, there's a, a moment, I'm, I'm not recommending the movie, but there's a moment in it where he's like, every, he's getting all the, he becomes, he gets to be God for a moment. And all the requests are coming in from all the people, God, please do this. And he's so exhausted by it. He's like, fine. Everybody gets everything that they want. I'm just going to say yes to it all. Good, right? And it, all it does is create chaos across the earth. So kind of a funny moment. But the point of this is, listen, if I were God, I think I would just go, sure, whatever. Let's make it easy. Let's just make it easy. But God's so brilliant. He loves you so much. He knows there's something that's better than in life being easy. It might, you might be tempted. In fact, I, I'd guarantee, I guarantee you've heard the whisper. Isn't God a little sadistic not to fix this? I mean, whatever you're going through, whatever hardship you're experiencing, whatever desert you find yourself in, in that moment of testing, wouldn't it just be easier if God just made the thing cool and easy, no problem? Isn't that a little mean-spirited? But part of a real and authentic faith journey is actually walking through the testing because God's doing his powerful, life-giving work in us in those moments. The point in the moments of these 
of these moments and seasons of testing is to just lovingly confront the unbelief that exists that we carry that destroys our lives. You ever wanted to go, Lord, I'm kind of going through it right now. And it seems like you're a million miles away. And it would just be better if you would just fix the thing. You ever prayed that prayer? Just fix the thing, God, please. It's like the most honest prayers, the hard ones, you know, where you feel frustrated. You just want them to be fixed and you're in it. And God's saying, hang on. There's something more important to me than everything being fixed. Because I'm going to fix everything just for clarity. It's all going to be fixed in, in the age to come. I promise you that. You're going to have it all. But while you're in the here and now, will you trust me that I want to produce and create in you a faith that blasts loud and strong through every season you walk through? I want to build, I want to build something in you I want to pull to the surface those places of unbelief. How good is God to say, I love you too much to let you go through this life with unbelief stealing your joy and killing faith in you. That's how good God is. We want smooth and easy. God wants strength and power in you. I want smooth and easy. Be the first to confess. It's just Simpler that way. God wants power and strength and hunger because we're going to rule with him forever. Snoozeflash. Heaven's not like sitting on a cloud with a harp. It's ruling and reigning with the co-heir. The God-man, son of God, ruling and reigning. God wants us prepped and ready. Hear this. This life counts. This life matters. You and I matter to him. Your faith matters to him. Hear that. Our faith matters to God. He's so committed to his glory in you. He is so committed to who he is manifesting in you and coming up alive and coming out of you. He's in, he's all in. You might be like, I'm not, I don't know if I'm all in today, but you don't have to worry because God's going, well, I'm all in. Yeah, you wake up on a Monday morning. You, know, you ever woken up Monday morning, you're like, Ugh. you ever been there? If you haven't, you're lying. We've all been there. Maybe it wasn't a Monday, maybe it was a Thursday, whatever. And you just want to go, uh, I don't know. It'd just be easier to go my own way or do my own thing or not think about it or just give in. And the Lord's saying, I'm so all in for you. I'm so all in with you right now. You may not have the strength for it, but I do. So trust me in the moment of testing and in the trial. Don't let, that's what the good father says. Don't let unbelief carry your heart away. Don't let unbelief and not believing my goodness in the testing season. That's what was happening for the Israelites. They were going through it. Moses had been up on the mountain a long time. 
And they said, well, I guess Moses went on. What are we going to do? Let's build an idol. Or they looked at the promised land and they go, well, God said this promised land, but there's no way we can overtake these people. I'm out. And he said, don't let that moment in you steal what God has. Don't let it happen. I let, you guys will know, some of you will know, um, old school hymn called Come Thou Fount. It's a good one. It's a good one. We'll get Spence to do that one up sometime. There's this, <laughs> there's this line in there that like my heart will resonate with every time I sing it. It says, it goes like this, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm singing that, you know, I wouldn't, I would sing it now, but you, I don't want to do that to you. So I love you too much for that. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Meaning, I know the day is coming when it's all fixed. I know the day is coming when it's all fixed. Every injustice is fixed. Every cancer is fixed. Every hurt is fixed. Every sin is fixed. There's a day coming. It's all fixed. Don't let the moment of testing kill faith in you. Bring unbelief. That's what he's saying. Don't let that. So the question is, all right. I want unbelief to have its way in me, to not believe him. So how do we fight unbelief? That's the question. When you're in the moment, how do you fight it? How do you fight unbelief? I'm just going to give you a few things right here from the text and we're going to be done. Number one, here's what it says. You got to hold fast to what is actually true. You have to hold fast to what's actually true which means it's important to understand what's true. Hebrews 3, go to jump to verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, which is just in and of itself so powerful, to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So meaning it a hold on to this faith and walk with Jesus, because you're going to go through the ups and downs to be able to go to the end. You had to hold on to it. And what's powerful is Jesus did this. We got to literally watch Jesus. So he's not going like, you guys figure it out if you'll just hold on. No, and we, we, we preached this last week if you were here for Hebrews chapter two. Jesus went through it himself. Right, One, we get to see him in the desert. Jesus literally went through a very metaphorical but very physical desert season. And he's there in the desert. And the same thing is this. You go back to verse 8. Just go back to that real quick. Verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What happens to Jesus when he's in the desert? He's in the wilderness and the enemy is trying to get him to put God to the test. And the Israelites put God to the test and Jesus said, nope, 
I'm not doing it. He went into the wilderness. He went into the dry season. He went into the place where there was nothing. It felt like God had left him. And he said, not my way. I won't test and I won't tempt the Lord. I won't do that. In fact, the scripture says to not do that. He walked right through it. So he knows exactly what it's like to be in the, you ever found yourself in a place where you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through the season. Jesus has been in that place. We got to see him do the exact same thing in the garden. He gets to do it in the desert. He gets to do it in the garden. Adam and Eve were in the garden, said, no, we're going to go our own way. Jesus was in the garden and said, it would be so awesome if I could not have to do this. I would love to go my own way. But what does he say? He was the perfect Adam who said, no, it would be easier and more comfortable to not go through this. But God has something so much richer for me, my father, and for my people. So I'm going through it. Jesus didn't, this was so powerful. Jesus didn't look at the testing season and get angry with his father. He dug in harder. He dug in deeper. So powerful that he came to his father full of faith. And that's what you and I have access to. That's not like read the story about what Jesus did and try to figure your, your, your life out that way. He's saying, that's what you have now. The faith of Jesus is the faith that you get. It's not like, hear this, Ephesians 2 tells us the faith that you and I have right now is a gift from the Lord, not anything that you and I could conjure up. Why? So that no one will show up in heaven and look at Jesus and go, how awesome was my faith, man, huh? Huh? Are you so glad to have me here? No one's doing that. You're going to go, you're going to see Jesus face to face and just melt and say, why would you do for me a wretch? And he'll say, because I love you. Because I loved you before the foundation of the earth. I had faith and I gave it to you. That's what we have. That's what you and I have access to. And if we don't, what else are we doing? Go find a religion that'll somehow do that for you. Just for this newsflash, there is none. It won't work. You can try all the other ones. You can try them. They won't work. They all fall apart. This is the one truth in which you come to it and the God demands of you perfection and then he gives it to you. It's the only one. All the other ones demand perfection in some way, shape, or form and say, hope you can figure it out. Christianity following Jesus is the only one that says, I demand and call for perfection and I'm gonna give you mine because I want you to be with me. That's how good he is. So we go to the Lord and we just hold fast to him. Uh, the, 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 story and, and what, the story that hits me on this is so powerful. In Mark chapter nine, there's a dad who's got a son who's been terrorized by a demon from the moment of his birth, as long as his life has been, and he couldn't speak and he couldn't hear. And often the demon would cause him to fling himself into fire or into water, literally trying to destroy the kid. And this dad is distraught. And Jesus is coming through his town. And the dad comes up and he's, he's asking, 
Could you do something for my son? Now, we can all get on with the desert season for ourselves. But we, let's talk about unbelief when the devil's trying to have his way in our kids' lives or our friends' lives or our spouse's life. That hurts. You don't talk about unbelief. You're like, oh, well, I, I can navigate through it. No, you know, we'll put it on. But when you see your kid, when you see a loved one hurting and wrestling, when you see them, that's where church faith is needed the most. And this guy goes in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, he goes, or the, the father asked for healing. He says, if you can, if you can, would you please heal my son? And Jesus goes, if you can. He goes, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. And here, I, I, let me tell you, I love this prayer. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. There it is. You want, a, you want a prayer to pray when you're in the testing? I believe, help my unbelief. This somehow feels like, are you like bipolar? What's going on here? Like what, what, what's happening? I believe, help my unbelief. This is real life is what this is. I believe, help my unbelief. What a beautiful prayer to pray. I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And what's beautiful is that God just responds to that kind of authenticity. To say, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God so lovingly pulls, the, he actually commands the spirit to leave the son, commands that demon to leave the son. And it convulses and knocks him out. He's on the ground, everybody thinks he's dead. And Jesus grabs him by the hand and his life's transformed. That's what God does with the prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. God, res God responds to that kind of authenticity. So I say, let's pray that prayer more often. Number two, you, you, we have to embrace real relationship, period. Real life, real relationship. And we gotta be with people that are gonna speak truth over us. We gotta hold on to the truth and we gotta be around people that are doing it. It's the point of the church. It's the point of being a church. Hebrews 3 Verse 13, but exhort one another. How often? How often? But exhort one another every day. Let's do this again. But exhort one another. Oh, yeah, that was good that time. Every day. Every day. Man, just needing to get encouragement. Getting encouragement, hearing from each other. Isolation will not work for this faith. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. You try to be on an island, you've been made to be with each other. We talked about that in a, a, the last series, and I won't, so I won't belabor this issue, but I think it's so critically important that we remember when you and I are going through it, we got to be with it and around each other. We got to have people speaking life and encouraging us, and we want to be the ones that are speaking life and encouragement to those around us. That's the point. I, and, and listen, in our culture, no one wants to be needy. Nobody wants to be that way. We're afraid of being needy, but the truth is, is God made us to be needy. 
to need each other, to need him and to need each other, period. We don't like that, but it's a part of our faith. We, get, we need each other. And so he's saying, you got to walk with brothers and sisters who help. And just this, a little side note, you listen, your spouse is great. Okay. Your spouse is great. They can't bear the full measure of your need. Just, you know, if you've been married for more than like four seconds, you figured this out. Your spouse can't bear the full measure of your need. God and you need men, you need brothers. Ladies, you need sisters. We got to have it. It's just a part. It's just how God's designed it. We got to have that. And I, I, again, spouses are amazing. They bring life and bring great stuff. They can't bring it all. And if you're hoping that they will, it's time to branch out. And I'm sure your spouse inwardly is going, yes, Lord, thank you, Jesus. All right, I can't, all right, I can't do it. We can't do it for each other. That's okay. Good news. Let's, let's be with each other. We talk about community here all the time, building authentic community, being a part of an authentic community, walking in groups together, walking in life together. It's important for us to do it. And we'll finish with this and then you can come up. And then oh, I love this. And this is what we're just going to finish with. Listen, we need to hear his voice today. I love, love, love this word. It's in the scripture. It's in Psalm 95. It's in Hebrews 3. It's right here. You can't get away from it. Hebrews 3, 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You want to be tender to the Lord and you don't want to go, your heart to go into rebellion. Here's the heart position. Lord, I need to hear from you today. Now, you may have some really scary tomorrows. Here, Jesus would say, I know about your scary tomorrow. I want you to listen to me today. Be with me today. Hear me today. Hear my voice. Yesterday is over and done. Yesterday's over. If the enemy is hammering you about your yesterday, let go and hear what the Holy Spirit has to say today. You may have heard great and beautiful things from the Lord yesterday. That doesn't mean that you don't need today to hear his voice, hear his encouragement, hear his life, hear his faith building, faith affirming words over each one of us. So we need, we need to hear. I'm just going to take a couple of minutes to hear. So we're just going to take uh, this time. We only have two minutes left. The Lord's eager to speak to you. How does he speak to us? That's a, that's a whole sermon series. And, I love, and in fact, we've done that. You, if you want to hear how to hear God's voice, you can go back and listen to our podcast. But here's what I want to say today. If you come with hands open and saying, yesterday's over, and what Jesus said in Matthew 6, tomorrow's got enough issues of its own. You don't need to worry about it. Just come today. If you'll come with your hands open and say, Jesus, I need to hear from you today. With faithfulness and authenticity, I believe God will speak life over you. 
And so we're gonna do that right now. And so you can put your Bibles and stuff away. In fact, if you guys will stand, we're just gonna finish this way. We'll take one minute and if it's helpful for you, you can hold your hands out to just receive from the Lord. You don't have to do that. Um, but I, I like to position myself bodily with what I'm asking God to do in a spiritual, supernatural way. So we just wanna come to you, Father. And here's all I want you to do. Would you just say, would you just ask him this question? Lord, will you tell me how much you love me? That's all you need to hear. Just ask him that. Lord, will you tell me right now, just today, tell me how much you love me. just want to live in it today. Would you lead us faithfully every day, knowing your word, knowing your truth, holding fast to the gospel, holding fast to Jesus, walking with him, walking in your love, and because we are loved, able to love those around us. We're asking this because this is where the fullness of life is. You the fullness of life. We receive your love. Thank you, Father, for loving us. If you were here and you didn't feel like you could hear the Lord speaking to you, I want to encourage you to keep asking that question. In a moment, we're going to have prayer partners that would love to pray with you. If you're eager, maybe just want someone to partner with you to hear God's voice, we're ready to do that. But I know the Lord is ready to speak of his heart that comes straight from his word. The scripture is where we get to know his heart. Scripture is where we get to know his heart. But his Holy Spirit is speaking in real time, right now, taking the word of God and making it alive in your heart and mind. So Lord, we receive from your word, your truth by your Holy Spirit. I ask you would release more and more of that over our church and let us walk not in unbelief, but belief to trust you. We believe you and it's in your name we pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, who is the Savior, who is the King of the universe, we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings, guys. We love you. We'll see you next week. Prayer partners, be down front.